Good morning, Whitewater. I um I was in the bathroom and I I found this phone. Um, Jeff, where are you? It's not wet anymore. Um, man, it's so good to see you guys. Welcome to our our new series, our faith campaign called Built, um, and, and it's really about how God is building His church uh, by building His people because a church is the community of God. And sometimes I don't I don't know if we think like this, but do you know that God wants to build your life up. He wants to build you up with faith. He wants to build you up in, in love, greater love for others, and build you up in hope. You you have a hope for your future. And um, the first service wasn't as awake. It's a, are you guys awake? Oh, good. There's some of you guys. There's only one or two that are like, eh, eh, eh. Um, well, just to make sure everybody's woke up, uh, could you look at the person next to you, go like this, and just say, welcome to Built, just real quick. <laughs> nice work. Yeah, there's a few guys. Yes. Some of you took that really seriously. Like it was like double fisted right there. Um, last week we, we started off uh, our series built on faith. And uh, we, we really looked at a few things that I think are really important. The first is without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, like the, the deepest and dearest things in our lives are not even possible. Love and relationship are not possible if we don't have faith in one another. And it's the same way with God, uh, who is the ultimate source of life, that we were designed to have faith. We're built for faith and we're built by faith. Um, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The other thing we looked at is the reality that faith precedes the movement of God. Faith precedes the miracle. And so often in our lives, we want God to show up. We want the miracle. We want the thing to happen. And then God, we will, we will have faith. We want the miracle to precede faith. But the way faith works, the way that you actually grow in seeing God's uh, hand move in the world and having a different perspective and, 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 and seeing some incredible things uh, is by having faith precede the movement of God. The other thing we talked about that I, I just think it was so important is that great lives are built on great dreams. And I, 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 we see it all through Scripture, God giving a dream, God giving a vision, God giving something uh, to people to look forward to, to hope and to believe and to have faith in. And, and I, I think great lives are built on great dreams. So what have you been dreaming? Some of you guys might be here and you're like, man, my dream's broken the thing that I was hoping for, the thing that I was dreaming, it's just, it's gone. But you're here. And you're believing through that. See, the, the beautiful thing is that there was, there's always resurrection after the cross. Jesus is showing there's always life. That there, like death, that disappointment, that brokenness does not have the last word. That new life, resurrection, new creation, God's goodness is always at the end of those hard things. So keep believing, keep trusting. What are you dreaming for these days? Now I want to um, just remind us that the uh, that, that the series like theme verse is is simply this: is Acts nine thirty one. It says, "So the the church throughout throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up." The church, when it was started, God was building it up. And uh, over the ages, God has continued to build the church. In fact, it goes on to say about the church and the, the church walking in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. God multiplied through people, multiplied through their efforts and their joys and their faith. And God loves to multiply His people. He loves to multiply faith. So 
Um, is that Jeff's phone? I'm just checking. <laughs> the real one's definitely slippery. Um, <laughs> that's going to be a terrible running joke for like months now. Um, I want someone to call him on that. Um, hey, Jeff. You heard me talking about you. <laughs> built up. Being built up. Now, um, Jesus was spending some time with his disciples and, uh, and raised a, uh, one of the most important questions there is. And just so you know, this, uh, this sermon is called Built on Christ. Built on Jesus. Jesus looked at his disciples in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 18. He says, uh, while, he's pri- while he was praying and he was in private with his disciples, were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds say I am? Like, what do people say about me? And this isn't Jesus being super insecure, being like, hey, what are the people saying about me? Do they like me? Or like, thumbs up? Or thumb- do I need to change some stuff? Less fire and brimstone, more he- You know what? That's not what he's, he's saying here. He's like, what do people think about me? One of the most important questions that you can answer with your life is who is Jesus? And he asked this, um, his disciples say, well, some think, you know, you're John the Baptist. Uh, you know, some think you're a religious kind of guru. Um, Elijah, another prophet. Some think that you're just one of the prophets, one of these leaders from the past that's like, you know, reborn. And, and really they're saying people don't really know. They know there's something wildly, weirdly amazing about you, but they don't, they don't really know. And uh, in our day and age, when you ask that, like, who, who do people say Jesus you know, is? Who, who is he? Um, you know, some people, there's different an- answers. Some people, he's a legend. Some people, he's like, you know, this myth that's out there. Some people, he's this, you know, he's like a genie in a bottle. If you just pray the right way, he'll answer everything that you want. And then when it doesn't come true, then you can be mad at him and you can you get angry and you get and there's different maturity levels on what people might believe about Jesus or not. Uh, there's people in our culture that um, he's a word for them when they hit their thumb with a hammer, you know, like he's he's Jesus, you know, however they want to use it. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, Jesus is is a name that polarizes people. And G, uh, Jesus actually, after asking that question, what do people say I, I am? Jesus asked. Uh, his disciples, okay, I, I hear what other people think, but who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? Um, answering this question is one of the most important questions. <laughs> Jeff, you're killing me today, man. Just, it's terrible. Uh, well, while, while we're laughing, um, while we're laughing, there, there are interesting images that people get in their mind or that they'll even, like art will tell you a lot about what people think about something. And here's a few pictures of Jesus. Here's one, uh, real quick. Uh, this is one we call Basketball Jesus. Or that's, uh, Sam, uh, in the back called him Basketball Jesus. Um, there's, there's, uh, he's your friend Jesus. Super friendly Jesus. Um, everybody kind of thinks, oh, here's blonde Nordic, uh, Norwegian Jesus. Uh, which is pretty funny. Um, and this is actually like a, what people would say would be the most likely, uh, this is what a lot of Mediterranean men looked like in uh, Jesus' day. Uh, so sorry to disappoint some of the uh, blonde-haired, uh, blue-eyed, pictured of Jesus people. But uh, we all have a different image when we think of Jesus. But what? let me ask you, let me ask you, uh, if you were to answer this and someone were to ask you personally today after church, uh, who is Jesus to you? What would you say? I think it's an important question. 
The, the, the church is built on Jesus Christ. This whole movement that we're part of is all about and all around Jesus. So who is he? Well, in um, the scriptures, Jesus is baptized. And when he gets baptized by John the Baptist, there's this moment where God's voice is audibly heard. And, it, and what people hear is, is God say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's God's Son. Well, what does God's Son mean? What does that have to do with anything? Um, and, and to answer who Jesus is, what I want to do is I want to break down two things. I want to look at the worthiness of Jesus as God's Son. Like that Jesus is worthy of being called God's Son. That Jesus is worthy of trust. That He's worthy uh, to be called that. And then I want to look at the purpose and ministry of Jesus. The purpose and ministry of Jesus. Because when we look at those two things, I think we can, I think we can come to answer that question a little bit better. So in, um, in Luke chapter 4, if we're talking about the worthiness of Jesus, there's these three tests Jesus has to go through. There's three tests that Jesus goes through, and we're going we're gonna to look at these. Um, and a friend of mine, Mike Breen, a, a guy who's a really great discipleship guy, he kind of um, uh, gave language to some of these tests that I really like, so I'm going to use it. Um, it says this in verse 1. Then Jesus left the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit. Like, he's had this mountaintop experience. And it says he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Yay, God. Have you ever had, have you ever had that moment where, like, it's a major spiritual moment. God's doing some incredible things in your life. And you're like, yes, Spirit's moving, hearts just big in your chest. God's great. Uh, and then, poof, you get brought to the desert. Like you go through something really hard, really challenging test. Jesus gets brought into the wilderness to be tested and tempted. Like the Spirit of God brought him there. Uh, I don't know about you, but in my life, like I like being on the mountaintop. I like looking at the desert from a distance. But if like if if the desert's real close, I'd prefer to go around it. I think. Most people would prefer to go around the desert or find a way out of the desert rather than go through the desert. Yeah? But see, it's in the desert where our faith is tested, tried, and grown the most. There are times when we need to go through testing. There are times when we need to go through stuff that we're like, I don't want to go through that. That doesn't make sense to me. God, what are you doing? I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And God's like, I need you to go here. It's for your good. It's for your testing. Um, so Jesus goes into the desert to be tested, tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those uh, days, those 40 days. Uh, and when they were over, he was hungry. Kind of like the greatest understatement in the Bible ever. <laughs> like he was in the desert for 40 days and anything. Oh, also, Luke says he was hungry. So, uh, in verse 3, the devil said to him, If you really are the Son of God, if what you say is true, and if what God, what you say you heard God say, you kind of see how the devil's kind of like trying to undermine that. If you really are God's beloved Son, um, tell the stone to become bread. You're hungry, provide for yourself. You're the Son of God, like you've got divinity, like you can just do this. And this draws back on the old story of Israel that was the people of Israel, God's people who were freed from Egypt, and then they were out in the desert, and they're like, yeah, God, and like, lead us to the promised land. He's like, well, you're going to be in the desert for a little bit. And they're like, we were hungry. 
and God begins providing manna, this bread from heaven. They, they, they called it manna. It means what is it? They didn't really know what it was, but they could make bread out of it. It was just provided by God. And so we know that God wants to provide for his people. Uh, God does that, and, and Satan's like, well, it's scriptural, right? Just make some bread for yourself. You're in the wilderness like, you know, your forebearers. Like, just make some bread and, and prove it. But I think it's so fa- fascinating that the first test for Jesus, and this is on your notes, is appetite. It's appetite. The first, it's like those physical needs and the physical desires that, that we would have. The first thing that he's tested with is, uh, is appetite. And Jesus responds to Satan with that temptation, with that testing. He says, man must not live on bread alone. He doesn't live on bread alone. Just everything that comes from the mouth of God. I, I, I trust in God. So Jesus is showing that he's God's son. He's showing that he's worthy because he fully uh, trusted God with his obedience. Uh, it's so interesting that, that instead of trying, Luke, instead of trying to prove that Jesus is like God and divinity and, and throw lightning bolts or something, you know, like the, the, the way we want God to prove himself that, he, that Jesus is God. And Luke flips it and says like his, um, the reason he's worthy, the reason you should trust in Jesus is that he laid down his divinity and, and held on to his full humanity. Like he went through the hardest experience and went with, without and was totally hungry and was tempted and all he had to do, he had the ability to, to create bread and he wouldn't do it. He trusted God by obeying God. See, I'm just going to trust on everything that God provides. And, and, and survival is more than just bread. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? He sees beyond his own need, too. I mean, he provides bread for other people later in the, in the Jesus story. He provides for others, but he's not gonna, he's not gonna, um, take a shortcut. And he doesn't, he doesn't give in to the temptation of appetite. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I like bread. You guys like bread? I was, uh, a few weeks ago, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna eat bread this week. You know, I'm just gonna cut bread, because that's this, I was reading this thing, I'm like, how people become fat. It's what the book's called. I'm just reading it because I was interested. It was like bread. Okay. Bread bad. So I was not going to eat any bread. And then, uh, the first day of my decision, my associate pastor, Scott Cohns, calls me up and is like, Hey, I'm bringing you a burger. I'm like, Oh, no, I can't. Where's it from? <laughs> Five guys. Oh. I'll let you decide what I did. <laughs> I didn't drop it in a toilet, that's for sure, though. Um, <laughs> so he took, uh, <laughs> so Jesus passed that test. So he took him up, Satan took him up to show, to show him all the kingdoms of the world in a, in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. I'll give you this power. I'll give you the authority. I'll give you the, I'll give you the splendor. Like you're supposed to be the king, and and Satan says, I'll give you the shortcut. You won't have to die. You won't have to face rejection. You won't have to do like the whole Jesus life thing. I'll just give it to you. It's right here. And the test that he's that Jesus is being faced with is ambition. There's appetite, and then there's ambition, like the will for power, the desire for power. For control and, and Jesus is worthy because he exchanges power and control for trust and love. Jesus trusts his father. He's not going to take a shortcut. He's not, he's not going to like, uh, use people or use Satan or use these 
ulterior means to gain control and power. He's gonna get, if he's gonna be the king of kings, he's gonna do it fully in, in his humanness, even though he's d- divine, fully human, and with all the weakness and, and, and everything, he's gonna pass the test and that, that no one else can. Everyone thinks that they can handle the power and control and, and then the power goes to their head. I mean, don't we live in a world where like, like leadership, like leadership like Jesus, where, where people aren't gonna be use others as a, as a means to an end? Use people and uh, like their things to be just disposed of. It doesn't our world need more leaders like this? And we all think, well, I'd be a leader like that. But the reality is, like power has a way of corrupting the human heart. And Jesus passes the test of ambition. Isn't that unbelievable? And he exchanges power and control. He can have it. It's right there. He says, no, I'm going to trust and love my father. The best teachers are the ones that can love and trust people. And they give trust and they give love. And sometimes their trust is betrayed. Right? Parents, same thing. Uh, right? Uh, friends, same thing. Marriage is something we give trust, we give love. Sometimes you can be betrayed, but the reality is the worst leaders, the worst teachers, the worst parents are the ones that like are, are super controlling and they have to be in control and they have to have power because if they're in control and they feel like everything's fine and they're all, and, and they, they take control and they take and they take. And when, like I remember seeing a teacher one time freak out on some kids because they did a prank and they're really controlling and they had all these policies and everything and they, it, these kids were, were, were breaking their boundaries and their policies and they were like you're terrible they were yelling at the kids and you know the another teacher or principal comes in and and they're like you need to fix these kids they're horrible you know as they're leaving the room they're screaming at these kids acting like a child and the more controlling and more power they tried to impose the less influence they actually had whereas when you see someone who can give and exchange that for love and, and trust they actually their influence grows now Ambition was the second test. Let's look at the third one. What is the third test? So he took uh, him to Jerusalem and had him stand on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands so you will not strike your, your foot against the stone. What do you... What, what he's attacking, what Satan is attacking here. But notice again he, that phrase where he said, If you really are the Son of God. If what you heard about yourself is true, then you have God's approval. And approval is the third test here. Do you have God's approval? Are you re- and, and Satan is attacking Jesus' identity. If you're really the Son of God, if you're really beloved, God really loves you. Like, you know, it says in Scripture, he uses Scripture out of context and for evil. That can happen just, you know, just in case you didn't know that. Um, and he tries to use scripture against Jesus to attack his approval, to attack his identity. And Jesus, what's his response? He answers him, do not test the Lord your God. Do not test the Lord your God. Um, Jesus is worthy because he trusted his identity as God's beloved son. He didn't test God with his identity. He didn't test God for his approval. He trusted God for his approval. God said it. I believe it. I'm his beloved son. He's given me his Holy Spirit. I can trust in him even if I'm hungry. Even if I'm like, uh, even if I'm having uh, my ambition tested. I'm not going to worship Satan so that I can get all these kingdoms of the world. And I'm certainly not going to throw myself off this so that God has to come and show that he approves of me. He doesn't do that. And there. Um, 
There was a gal uh, this morning and, a, and a, another friend uh, a few weeks ago I got to pray with, and one of the hardest parts for both of them was, was standing in the truth of their identity of, as beloved daughters of God. That God loves them, no matter what. Like, God, doesn't, God loves them in, in any moment as much as he will ever love them. It's like, regardless of how good or bad their life is, God loves them. And one of the tests that we fail all the time is standing firm in our identity as, for Christians. For people who start believing, God, God, I'm, I, you love me. Your grace is upon me. My, you're, you're, I'm, I'm in your favor. And so often we don't want to believe that. And so a lot of acting out and a lot of self-destructive tendencies in the lives of humans is really trying to seek approval. Does that make sense? We're trying to like, does God really approve of me? Or does he really care about me? Will he really catch me? Am I, do I really matter to him? And am, I, am I loved? And, and, and I, I want, someone's probably got to hear this today. You are the beloved sons and daughters of God. He just loves you. He loves you. You're like, well, I don't even believe yet. Oh, too bad. He still loves you. <laughs> Sorry. He loves you. Standing firm in that. And luckily, Jesus passed all these tests. It, it finishes, uh, Jesus answered him, do not test the Lord your God. I'm not going to test him. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from, from him for a time. Um, Jesus is worthy. He passed all the tests. These are the tests that Adam and Eve failed. You might have noticed that. These are the, the tests that Israel failed over the ages. God's people failed. Jesus passed it. You and I might, might fail all three of these. I was thinking about this week. Like, it's like I could go through all three of these and see areas where I failed this in my own life this week. You know? But Jesus passed the test for us. Here's the, here's the, here's the kicker. Here's what I want to get, get to today. Um, the purpose of Jesus' ministry. The purpose of Jesus' ministry. Who is Jesus? Here's, here's who Jesus is and why he was sent. In Luke 4, uh, verse 16, it says, He comes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, his hometown. As usually, he entered the synagogue on Sabbath day and stood up to read and, and, uh, in, the, in the synagogue, in the church. And they'd have church services. They'd have like a scroll, and people would come read it, and then someone would interpret it. That's how they would normally do it. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. It's Old Testament scripture. And unrolling the scroll, it, was, it wasn't old then. Um, there's just one person who got that. Um, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me, he has chosen me. To preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to recover uh, sight for the blind, to, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down and dropped the mic. It's like, goes quiet, and all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were, on, were fixed on him. Just like, what did he do? And, and he says... Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Like that scripture from Isaiah hundreds of years ago is about me. I have the Spirit of the Lord that's anointed me, and I am going to bring the year of the Lord's favor. And all the Jewish, just to give you guys context real quick, this is important context so we understand what's going on here. All the, all the Jewish people in that synagogue would have understood this as, as the year of the Lord's favor. That section of Isaiah is talking about a, a, an old section of the scripture where it's talking about this, this, this time called the time of Jubilee. 
the time of God's favor. Do you guys know what the, the time of Jubilee is? Well, let me let me explain it in like 60 seconds. Uh, every, it was this rule or this, this law that was given to God's people that, that said at, at the 49th to 50th year, there's some debate on that, but in about 50 years, um, there's, gonna, there's a whole restart. It's the, called the year of Jubilee. And the restart was for the whole people of Israel, God's people, the nation. And it would be a restart. So everybody who owed debt, all their debt would be canceled. All your debt would be canceled. You'd walk out and no, you didn't owe anybody anything. You didn't, know, you didn't owe nobody nothing. How many of you guys would be like, I could use some year of Jubilee. <laughs> sounds great. We should institute that now. I declare Jubilee. Like Michael Scott, and it's true. It'll happen. Um, <laughs> now, there are also uh, forgiveness, not just debts, but forgiveness of people. There's, uh, if you were a slave or become indentured to somebody, you were freed, you become a free, free person. You were, if you had sold land because you uh, had hardship and you'd sold family land that belonged to your family, that had been given uh, by God to your family um, originally, that would be returned to you. So the property owners that had owned it for the 49 years would have to give it back. And uh, everything was temporary. Everything was temporary. Like at this end of this 50 years, everything was given back. They'd let the land lie fallow like, so it could, it could kind of um, have better um, fruitfulness and it, the harvest would be better by letting the, the land rest. And really also was saying, God, we trust you. We trust that you'll take care of us. And the whole Jubilee thing was to remind them that they were the people that God freed from Egypt, that they're a freedom people, that God owns everything, but he's given them everything. And so there, the, the, the thing that was so crazy about the Jubilee was that it was saying, look, at a God, it, he has created a people for each other. You're not, we're not created to try to get one up on somebody and to owe somebody and to have the haves and the have-nots and people who are outsiders and people who are insiders, people who are outcasts and loners and losers and the people who have everything like you're designed to be family and so the jubilee was reminding them that god created them for each other and for him to love each other and to love god great commandment right isn't that beautiful and guess what the the losers and the have-nots loved the jubilee the people who had everything hated it do you know that there's not one recorded um history of them ever doing the jubilee they never did it. Why do you think that is? Because the insiders didn't want to give up what they had. They wanted to keep their possessions and their power, ambition, remember the test? They wanted to keep that rather than have a brother and sister restored. And it's like, oh man, like those people are terrible. But don't you and I feel like we're owed certain things and we're entitled? And sure, well like, if, if that person needs some money, that's great, but I don't want it to come from my bank account. My bank account. See, friends, when we talk about generosity, God's radical understanding of generosity through Luke especially and through the Bible is, is everything we own is God's. And we're like, my bank account, my thing, and, my th- and I'm entitled and I own this. Then all of a sudden, we, we, we start prizing um, possessions, power, money over people. Jesus wouldn't do that. That's not the Jesus way. So when Jesus reads this, he's saying, this is going to be my ministry. And I want to show you guys what that meant for the community. Can I do that really quick? And then we'll wrap this thing up. All right. When Jesus declared the year of the Lord's favor, the the time of freedom, and 
Uh, if you guys are note takers, I'll read this because I don't want note takers mad at me. Um, on your notes, it says this. Jesus brings the time of freedom and forgiveness for the broken and the lost. Jesus brings the time of freedom and forgiveness for for the broken and the lost. Jesus cares about the broken. The, the Jubilee was for the broken, wasn't it? To lift them up. And Jesus is saying the time of freedom, the time of forgiveness is now. I'm bringing that. And so in Jesus' ministry, in the next few chapters in the book of Luke, it, Luke is it okay if I... Uh, Volunteer, voluntold a few of you guys. Can you do that? It's alright if I volunteer. Would you mind holding this up? In, G, in Jesus' ministry, Luke shows that he brings the Jubilee. If you just stand up and maybe stand right out here. And, and, and he meets a demon possessed, like multiple people who are demon possessed. You know, there's spiritual darkness in their life. And he begins doing his, the Jesus work that he does. There's sick people. You mind holding this up? Are you feeling actually kind of sick? You mind holding this up for me? Just standing out here? I won't make you dance or anything. Why don't you stand right here and turn toward, toward everybody. There's people who are sick that, that come to him for healing. Uh, there's uh, lepers. Uh, this is really specific um, uh, injury. <laughs> right here, there's a leper. Sorry, dude. Your skin doesn't look that bad to me. Um, go ahead and hold that, that out to people. Um, my wife was writing these because I have terrible handwriting. She, she's like, who are the, the leapers? And I was like, they're the people who just hopped around all the, all the time. No one could... You know, tell them what to do. Uh, and then we had people who were just sinners. I'll give it to Joe. Yeah, we'll give it to Joe. <laughs> you mind just stay right here. Stay right here and turn around. Uh, sinner, um, you know, prostitutes, tax collectors, people who are on the outside. The religious did not like them. Um, let's see. Um, Summer, would you help me out with this? Uh, we, he had a, a paralyzed guy brought to him who's... His, his life is just totally diminished because of uh, being paralyzed. And in this culture, sometimes the religious would even blame someone who had a, a horrific injury or some, maybe they were born that way. They would blame them and say, well, you were, it's because you would have done something or you did something to cause God to do this to you, like you're, you're a sinner. Um, and then, uh, then we actually have another. Can I get one other person? You mind standing with this, that's all? All right. Um, he met a, a widow whose son died. And, um, and, and was weeping. And in the Jesus community, in the Jesus tradition, what, what Jesus is doing is he's fulfilling the time of Jubilee, where there's restoration, there's restart, there's forgiveness, all this stuff. So Jesus starts changing everything, and God gives his, him power. And, and, cause remember, Jesus didn't try to take power, he released power, so God could release his power through him. That has something to say to us. When we re- release the power that we could take, God can actually, like, start releasing power through our lives. Um, Jesus, uh, brought a, a dead person back to life. Now, before you flip this real quick, there's something that's really important that we need to know. Um, these are personally really hard things to be dealing with, right? I mean, there's spiritual darkness, there's leprosy, there's sickness, there's, People are just dealing with sin and the regret and guilt. But here's the big, the, here's the kicker. All of these people are, are pushed to the outside of the culture. You guys are the center. You guys are the normal people. You guys are the religious and the connected and the people who have wealth, the people who have friendship. You, you like, you're socially normal. You're physically normal and everything goes, is good for you. But these people are being pushed to the outside of the culture, right? So when you, uh, when you're dead, you're pretty disconnected from culture. Can we agree? Um, let's look, like the leper, let's look at that. That one had uh, significant um, ramifications. And all, almost all of these, especially sin, si- uh, sickness, uh, leprosy, spiritual darkness, all of these cause disconnection socially. 
with the family. Like a leper probably hadn't seen his family for, for years or had a real good connection. But the most important one was that you were disconnected from the worshiping community. You couldn't worship God. And in, in Jewish culture, that was everything. You couldn't go and worship Yahweh. You couldn't be part of being connected to Him. You were disconnected. Do you see the, the issue? Now, Jesus comes along, declares the year of Jubilee, the time of freedom, and He raises the widow's son to life. Go ahead and flip that. Uh, he's, he takes the paraplegic and He uh, heals. Go ahead and flip that. He takes the sinner and Jesus, dang Him, He forgives them. Are you kidding me? Um, takes the leper and cleanses the skin, the sick, and He heals them. The spiritual darkness and brings freedom. Now, look at this for a moment. Individually, how powerful was this uh, in these people's lives? Amazing, right? Imagine like having been in pain or spiritually uh, oppressed by demonic darkness or addicted to something, you know, like, and being freed from that. But here's the big thing. Even more importantly than all these, just all the personal things, these people are being restored to community. Would you guys take a seat? Would you guys go ahead and sit back in the community that you're from? Go ahead and grab a seat with them. Um, Would you guys give them a hand? Thank you for participating. Um, I just want to, I want to finish with, with these thoughts for you guys. Um, their brokenness put them on the outs in that culture. But here's the reality. Their brokenness, um, was like a mirror to all of us in here. We're looking at them and look at their lives and how messed up their lives are and poor them, like maybe pity or maybe a little bit of pride. Like, I'm glad I'm not that person. I'm glad I didn't have that. You know, I've, I've, I've got my life together. But their brokenness, when Jesus began healing and helping them, that people who are religious, people who are leaders, people who are good people on the inside were angry and resi- they were offended by Jesus. Why is that? And I want to suggest to you guys that, that some of it is because like the reason people have rejection of the outsider, they reject these ones who are hurting and broken, clearly broken, is because a rejection is often projection. Rejection is often projection. Their brokenness sheds light on our brokenness. And when Jesus was going out and healing these people, he's making the religious, like, why are you going out to them? Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. They're like, why are you, why aren't you healing your hometown? Why are you going to these other people in Caesarea? And Jesus is like, if you guys know God at all, God is the God who, who loves the underdog. He loves the ragamuffin. He loves the people who are down and out and broken and the, the losers of society. He begins with them to reveal your own brokenness. Their brokenness reveals your brokenness. Your brokenness reveals my brokenness. And when, when, our, when we come face to face with our brokenness, we can come face to face with the grace of God. Amen? And Jesus, going against the grain, going against expectations, healing people that, why, why is he spending time? With, being with sinners, why are you spending time with them? Don't you know that they'll, they'll infect you with their sin? And Jesus was like, I'm not afraid of being infected with their sin. With their sin. I'm, I'm bringing the time of God's freedom. The kingdom has come to earth. They should be afraid of being infected with the kingdom. 
Why aren't you afraid of that? Why are you afraid of this stuff? And fear starts to take over the minds of people who are broken, who are trying to hide their brokenness. Judgment, condemnation, entitlement. Jesus told the story in Luke that tells like the whole story of Luke. He said there was this two brothers. One brother took everything from his family, took his, his inheritance and ran off and blew it all. And then he came back. And the father surprisingly invited him back. And the brother who had stayed around and done all the good things, he was on the inside of the family. He was angry. This other brother... He had lost his inheritance. He didn't deserve it. And the older brother, on the other hand, had, was entitled to be angry, entitled to the inheritance, entitled to the home. After all, he had worked hard for it. After all, his life was put together. And in this story, there's, it reveals there's two responses to Christ. We can respond and take the entitlement path, like, oh, I've got my life figured out figured out and like who are these people what is god doing why is god healing this person like why is god working this way why isn't god taking care of me first why is god helping them when i'm still in trouble have you ever had that thought and look at we're all human but the reality is god wants us to come face to face with our brokenness so we can come face to face with his grace um the younger brothers who, are, who know they're broken, who know they're hurt, who know they have sin, who know they, they need Jesus, they know they need forgiveness. They just receive it over and over again. They just receive it and they reveal our need. Do you realize how much you and I need the grace of God? Do you guys realize how much we need to be a community that rallies around the hurting and the broken, that rallies around the, those who are in, in tremendous need of God because where they are is where God's heart is. That's where the Father is. He's embracing them. He's compassionate for, toward them. He's forgiving them. And he, he begs us to join Him. So friends, when we talk about being built on Christ, we're talking about being a Jesus community that exists for the outsider. We're not doing church for the inside. We want you to grow. We want you to, 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 to mature, of course. We want you to, to be all that you can, but, but don't fool yourself into thinking that you don't need Jesus' love and forgiveness as much as the person who obviously does. Amen? And so here's my invitation today. Um, in a room like this, there are people who look like their whole life's together they look like everything's perfect but there are some deep areas of brokenness in their in their lives in their bodies even in their um in their past in their heart there are people that are here today that obviously have brokenness i mean it's obvious you're here because you're 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 hurting and you're broken and it's obvious that the relationships or the things that aren't going well in your life we have both that are here but both are are asked by Jesus to come forward to, for healing. And so if you're here and you're someone that's like, I can't receive forgiveness, I don't know if I can find freedom. And maybe you're someone who has an addiction. Like it might be secret, it might be known. Maybe you've had, you've had a past. Maybe there's stuff in your past that no one's ever known about. Maybe there's been an affair, there's been an abortion, there's been stuff that in, in, in this room right now, people are carrying heavy weights. And Jesus came. And he declared the time of the Lord's freedom. 
Do we believe it? Will we, will we, will we step into our identity of, as God's beloved sons and daughters and receive forgiveness? Receive. Maybe there's people here that physically are broken. There's just, you need healing. My invitation is today, come receive freedom and forgiveness. We're going to have people here ready to pray. I'm going to be up here ready to pray. If you need to receive forgiveness for the first time or the hundredth time, come pray with me. If you need uh, prayers for healing, if you need prayers for help, come receive it. Don't leave today without having received what God would would give to you today. Amen? Uh, Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this time to build our faith, Lord. Would you build our faith that our church, that your church is built on you, Jesus. It's built on on the one who went to the cross to bring uh, everyone who is separated from God back into God's family. It was It's built by the one who loved the outsider, the one who was willing to, to go through the tests and pass the tests on our behalf. Lord, you're worthy and you're good and your ministry is something that we can experience. Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't... We wouldn't um, be offended by you. We wouldn't resist you. We wouldn't step away from you or we wouldn't want some two-dimensional God that's just like a, a doctrine or a, a, a piece of theology. Lord, we want the real thing in our lives. We want the living God. And Lord, if there are people here today that need your freedom and need your forgiveness, Lord, it's time. You started that time. Would they receive that today through prayer and through your spirit? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.